I think what I've come to realize is that so many of those things like settled inside of my soul deeply. I'm still dealing with many of them. My body or my soul or my heart is still kind of hanging on to them, not because they want to, um, but because they don't know how not to yet. And but, but that's so okay. That's very okay. and correspondence about spiritual de- and reconstruction. Season 3, Episode 9, Come Home to Your Body, Part 1. Hey there everyone, it's Kevin. Welcome back to episode 9 and what is going to be the first of two parts. The song scoring this week and next is, like the others this season, from Derek's new album, Targets. And it's one that's kind of near and dear to the heart of the podcast as it works with themes and ideas which defined season 2 and have definitely stuck with us since. There was language that our producer Jamie used which later inspired a song which now has gone on to inspire an episode, which has now become two episodes. It's not so much that we come back to this idea as it is that we never really get all that far away from it, being rooted in it. And that's the idea of full embodiment. It's like a motif that repeats over time, bringing with it new developments and nuance as it builds with each story we tell. Along with that theme at the center of this call, This caller had experience in Southern Baptist circles, like Jamie, in Calvary Chapel, like me, in RUF, like Derek, and with Acquire the Fire, like our producer John. There's no point to me saying that, really, other than that it interested me that she had touched on each of our producer's backgrounds. It reminds me of what happens all the time in collecting and curating these stories. There are places I might nod along knowingly, even places where I feel like someone is relaying my own experience, but also places where I lean in closely to hear things I didn't experience, or things I was removed from the effects of. Places where I learn a lot, and definitely places where I hear language provided to experiences I've had which I never knew how to express. So I hope you find yourself in one or more of those places this week as we listen in on this conversation. I'm away Eyes wide open shaking like a little earthquake 
just for goodness sake An invisible hand waving just over my head I loved everything that you had to say and I love, you know, obviously there's elements that I personally resonate with in your background, but then also elements that I could not personally resonate with, but I have been able to bear witness to being the reality in, you know, in the last few years. But then I'm especially, you know, especially loving kind of what you're saying about where you're going moving forward. So I'd love to hear you share with everyone a little bit of both of those things, where you've been and where you're going. Yeah. So I grew up in several evangelical churches and several different types of evangelical churches. I'm biracial, so my mom's white, my dad's black. Mm -hmm. And when they first got married, they were really into like Maranatha and Mm. like I have that tattooed on the back of my neck. (laughs) Okay, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a weird decision in 2010, but you know, you know, it happens sometimes. It It does, yes. Um (laughs) but my parents became very you know, into the charismatic movement. My dad is the youngest and only boy in a large family. Mm. Um, my grandfather was a black Baptist preacher. So there's a lot of pressure there. Mm. And my mom grew up Catholic. And when they got married, they met in college. They met in the same city that a massive resistance happened to in the South. Oh, wow. Where they closed all the schools for 10 years. Yeah. Um, instead of integrate. Man. Uh, yeah. And they... They started dating just 15 years after Loving versus Virginia. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Like maybe they started dating, yeah, like 12 years after Loving versus Virginia was passed. That's wild. Yeah. So it was extremely recent. And then they got married in the mid 80s, Loving versus like less than 20 years after. That's incredible. Yeah. So instead of going either to a Catholic church or like a black Baptist church, they sort of started going to evangelical churches early on in their marriage. And mm-hmm. my dad was a worship leader. We moved around churches a lot as he helped different churches get started with music and leading worship. So mm-hmm. it was rare for us to spend more than a year in one church. Mm-hmm. Um, there were lots of those ideals that sort of seeped through at home mm-hmm. that were in the evangelical church. I do have to say that I know, especially talking to my mom more recently, that she didn't agree with a lot, especially when it came to like purity culture um, Mm -hmm. and like the constant talking about hell. Like my mom mom wasn't into that. And my parents didn't really talk very much about that. And my mom, I think in hindsight, was quite sex positive. But a lot of the messages that I got from the church were so heavy that in many ways I felt a lot of the pressures to conform to that world mm. in order to be a good Christian, like right. in order to do right in the eyes of God. Yeah. And I, I've been realizing really recently, like truly in the past like three weeks, the ways that those things have been manifesting themselves in a lot of other ways in my life besides mm. like being ashamed of my body. Or like, um, There's one. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah know yeah. all about that one. <laughs> or like uh, being ashamed of sexuality and all uh-huh. of these things. Anyway, the churches that we did spend the longest amount of time with in like the most formative years of my life, so like late elementary through middle school, was we spent time in an Assemblies of God church. Mm. We spent time in a Calvary chapel. Mm. And we spent time in just like a very evangelical, non-denominational church. And those were sort of like basically ages 10 through 17, 18 until I went to college. 
so I think about those churches and sort of the mentors that I had in that church and the, the messages that I got from them in the ways that I conceived of myself as a being. And a lot of the people that we interacted with at these churches were white. My dad only really worked at one sort of black Baptist church. Mm. Um, so we didn't really go to that church, those churches, unless it was like homecoming or mm. when my dad was working at that. So the, the mentors that I had and the people in those churches, I think, and, and the identity that I developed was very much of like a very devout Christian. Um, I was very into my faith. Many of my friends weren't, which was really interesting. And I mm. don't really remember trying. I didn't necessarily like try to save them. Yeah. <laughs> in air quotes, but in our school, because I grew up in a very small town in the upper South, it wasn't uncommon for people to go to, you know, like acquire the fire-esque. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah, on like a Friday night, like when it wasn't football season, it was acquire the fire. Oh my God. The two distinct seasons, acquire the fire season and football season. <laughs> Exactly. So all of those things permeated throughout my sort of consciousness and and the way that I developed as as a human person. So in college, I didn't go to a Christian school. My parents were actually very adamant that we shouldn't go to Christian schools. Bless your parents. Wow. There were things there that were like, okay, like my parents also never voted Republican. Um, Not that that, you know. Okay, your parents are my parents now. Um, (laughs) I'm switching. I'm trading. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah, there were a lot of things that even though we grew up sort of in this culture and we had these friends that I think being part of an interracial couple, like there are things Mm -hmm. that you can't. Uh, I mean, some people do. I don't know. My parents did not. um, They were still quite liberal politically when it came to many things. So they were they were very against homeschooling, and they were very against going to a Christian college. Mm. So I went to a state college, a state school, and well, I started in Chi Alpha, and that got really small and sort of disbanded. uh, My freshman, sophomore year. Mm. Um, but then I, I ended up in RUF, mm. which is, oh, I've, I, I keep trying to think about how that fits in, not, um, how to say, uh, it's different in many ways than the evangelical upbringing that I had. And in some ways it felt really revolutionary because it felt different mm. than some the things that I had believed as part of the evangelical evangelical church or like some of the things they talked more about like the hypocrisy in the church and they talked more about intentionality and relationships and so much about grace because it was reformed mm-hmm. <laughs> so much about grace. um and I was like okay this is great and I, I felt very like pursued by that campus ministry at my school um mm. so I ended up there um I got very into that I was a small group leader and Due to not-so-subtle suggestions from my campus minister and this sort of mentor that I had that I became very close to, I started dating someone who I'd become really good friends with. Over the years, I started dating him my senior year in college, um, essentially the summer before. I was extremely depressed by my senior year because another thread throughout my life has been mental health Mm. that I've struggled with all my life. 
my mom had a major depressive episode when I was a child that I remember okay. well. Yeah. She went on medication pretty early in terms of what I know about people going on antidepressants. I think she's probably the person mm. that's been on them the that I know. And I had my first episode probably my senior year of high school, but didn't really go recognized. And then I had several de- major depressive episodes when I was in college, but my worst one was definitely my senior year. And because of that, I really don't remember a lot of it, Yeah, which is always wild to be like, yeah. <laughs> this is a, a blank space in my memory. Yeah. But that's when I started dating this man. And I felt the need that like I felt like we should get married and in RUF it was very encouraged yeah and to have a short engagement and like all of it not have sex before marriage all of it was very it's um, a short engagement just kidding but not really (laughs) yeah. yeah so I felt a lot of pressure there that I don't think my boyfriend felt hmm. but I did and I really struggled I think physically I I'm using that language I struggled struggled yeah (laughs) and was always concerned that we were like going too far Mm -hmm. but didn't have really any sort of sexual interaction that I would now consider a sexual interaction Mm -hmm. until we got married and I quickly realized within six months that like I was not interested in having sex with men yeah and I had known since high school that I was bisexual, mm-hmm. but didn't tell many people that was like very much not a safe place Yeah, where I grew up was just not safe. And it was like <laughs> the mid 2000s. So no, <laughs> definitely not. No. Yeah. And so I told some close friends, um, but not many people about girls who I had crushes on in high school. Mm-hmm. But then about six months into my marriage, I realized that oh, this isn't like I'm having a hard time being present during sex or I'm having a hard time enjoying sex at all. Mm. But it was very difficult to realize because I was very close to my husband. Mm. Um, We were very close friends and we had a really, really good friendship. Yeah. But fast forward about two years from that point and I begin falling in love with a very close friend of mine. Um, Mm. I had met post-college who was gay and she and her girlfriend were very good friends with myself and my husband at the time. And so, yeah, that got extremely complicated after we realized that we sort of had mutual feelings for each other that Mm. were very surprising and very scary Yeah, and unintentionally kind of came out. And I was very upfront with my then husband about what was happening and how I was feeling. And of course it was all a lot and very much. And this was uh, 2017, around a little, about this time of year, 2017. Yeah. And so within six months, less than that, like four months, four excruciating months, decided that this wasn't going to work. Yeah. I was in grad school at the time. At the time that I came out, I was ending, it was like my last six months of grad school. And I was just trying to finish up. Um, I was offered two different jobs and I ended up taking the job that would put me the closest to where I grew up because I knew I had a therapist there Yeah, that I could basically like fall into immediately. Mm, oh, that's, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. It was, that was, yeah, that was the decision, even though I, I was planning on taking the other job, but my then husband had a lot of friends there as well. So that was like, okay, you know, support systems are in place if mm. anything goes down, which was good. But I ended up in um, 
the hospital. I ended up in a psychiatric unit um, about a month after I moved back because mm-hmm. I ended up kissing my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was amazing. But also, obviously, <laughs> I was married and I had to deal with mm-hmm. all of consequences and the fallout of that. So it was all very difficult and overwhelming. And I didn't feel like I was being listened to or heard. Um, And I knew or I felt like I was just deeply hurting my then husband and I couldn't deal with it Mm. and just didn't want to exist anymore. Yeah. And so I took myself to the emergency room (laughs) um, Mm. and spent a night in, in inpatient, which was really, really hard and horrifying and just made me think a lot about the state of mental health care. Mm. because I have a re- like relatively, I have a lot of privilege and I still had this, ex- this horrifying experience in inpatient. Mm. Uh, and that made me very, very sad too. But I was put on antidepressants and we finally found one that worked for me. It's the same mm. one that my mom is on and also my sister, oh, wow. <laughs> um, which was great. And shortly after that sort of realized that it wasn't going to work out. Mm. So separated from my husband at that point. And my good friend and I, she was also in the process of ending her relationship with her then girlfriend mm. for reasons outside of what was happening between us. There sure. just oh, things were kind of crumbling. And so, you know, that was extremely scary. And shortly after we decided to get a divorce, we were living in Charlottesville. Mm. And shortly after was August 12th. In Charlottesville, we do not call it Charlottesville, we call it August 12th. Um, So, you know, that was really horrifying. I had my mom, I've never felt so physically unsafe. Mm. And I think at that point also being newly out, feeling so vulnerable in all of my identities. Um, And I'm very, I'm extremely straight passing and and femme presenting. Mm. So I know I have privilege there, but it felt all very vulnerable. Like I know that I have privilege there. And yet I still felt like it, it wasn't, it was legitimately unsafe for me to leave my house alone yeah. that day. God damn. Yeah. Um, and so like I had my mom come pick me up for a while. And then I, when I went back into Charlottesville it was before everything really had calmed down. Um, so, you know, I sat on my couch while there were sirens and helicopters and like watched CNN. Mm. Um, and it was, it was really bad, <laughs> but so all of that was going on at the same time. And then shortly after that, my husband and I, I, I moved out and my mental health started getting a lot better. <laughs> mm. Can't really say I'm all that surprised by that <laughs> when you're no longer in that intense of a war with yourself. Yeah. Yes. Um, kind of the only place to go is up. <laughs> oh, it's so true. And like, I felt a much deeper connection mm. to myself and like much more at home in my body. And even mm. as soon as I came out, I felt much more at home in my body. Yeah. I had an eating disorder for 10 years. Yeah. And as I was in recovery, I know that it is common in recovery for women to come out and to realize that yes. they're, they're a gay. Absolutely. And so that was definitely my experience. It wasn't until after I had been in like intensive therapy for a year and a half that I was able to come to that realization. Wow. A
So I lived, I lived still in Charlottesville for another nine months, I guess. And then I got a job um, where I live now and I am now dating my good friend and it's been amazing. How long have you guys been together for? We've been together since uh, like October, 2017, November, Mm -hmm. 2017. Obviously there was a lot of like trying, just trying to figure out and pick up the pieces from what felt like an explosion in both of our lives. Even though you told me the story and told me the dates when you said, you know, we're dating now, it felt in my body like you got, you were telling me like that y'all have been together for like 10 years. There's something yeah. very storied <laughs> about the relationship between the two of you that like, I mean, you, you fought for it in big, yeah. in really big ways, but I mean, by fighting for yourself first and foremost. Yeah. Um, yes. But yeah, I can imagine that that feels really valuable to be on this side of how hard that was to get here. Yes, extremely. And we live together now. Mm. We moved in together about six months ago and wow. we both moved to um, when I left Charlottesville and she left where she was living. And it's been, it's been awesome. Wow. It's been really- Congratulations. Yeah. That's Thank a you. really big deal. That's yeah. a lot of upheaval. And, and I'm sure before the upheaval happens and while you're in it, it feels like number one, why the hell did I do this? And, or number two, like, where am I going? Like where, when, yeah. when will this end? When will it settle? When will this feel better? When will I feel yes. well? Yes. And we both had so many com- conversations like that. Like, well, we did these really hard things in quick succession, all very close together. And it's still hard. Like, why is it still hard? Yes. We got out of those things. We got out of the hard relationships that we were in and we got out of the places that or not even that, we were still living in places, I think, that were very hard for both of us yeah. just to geographically be in. But yeah, no, like after that, we're like, what, why? Um, but yeah, <laughs> pushing through all of that. And we, we keep joking, like, okay, 2019, like 2019 is our year. <laughs> like we're here, we're doing it. 2018 was a year of a lot of like reshuffling and settling and, yeah. and uncertainty. But yeah, it feels really nice to be on the other side of so much of that and just like a a relief. Yeah. And that's not to say like, I think that, you know, like my relationship with my dad is, is tense now. Um, he's not excited about having a gay kid for sure. Mm -hmm. And like both my sister and I identify as queer, which Mm. I think is hilarious. And my grandfather wanted a son to carry on the family name and, and instead, you know, he got that, but his, his, uh, his granddaughters with that family name are like, might, you know, may retain the family name and keep it passed on, but I don't think that's yeah. how I thought it would have gone. Right. Right. Like, yeah. Loving hearing not only where you are now, but like the full story of how you got to where you are now, because like everything about how, you know, where you came from and that period of time where it was difficult makes hearing where you are now so much more valuable and hearing, you know, the, the fullness of, and especially the, the things you mentioned, um, a couple of those little notes there about like feeling more at home in your body and present in your body and not really at war with your body anymore. Like that is my language. That is so my language. And, and I feel like it is, it's so often so true that on the other side of leaving that space and that religious environment, um, and a lot of those teachings, 
we do, I mean, it might sound cliche that like we come home to ourselves, but I mean, cliches are cliches for a reason, but we do, we truly do come home to ourselves because we no longer have to deny the reality of who we are in order to fit some sort of authoritarian demand or narrative demand yeah. on who we're supposed to be. And I wish I had known earlier that it wasn't going to be so scary out here, that it was actually yeah. going to be so good, but I'm glad I know now. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so interesting to think back on the things that I, the things that I internalized mm. um, from those sort of authoritarian mm-hmm. um, religious conservative institutions that I was a part of mm-hmm. um, even though I didn't even like cognitively in many ways if you had asked me about it during that time I wouldn't have told you those things yeah. but it, I think what I've come to realize is that so many of those things like settled inside of my soul deeply yeah, yeah. Um, and like I'm still dealing with many of them um in some ways and like cognitively much better cognitively like more in tune with myself but I have always been really really scared of the dark this is like Mm -hmm. one way in which I'm like realizing huh I've always been really scared of the dark like ever since I was a kid which is like fair whatever people Mm -hmm. have fears but I've also always been afraid of like evil spirits and demons and Mm -hmm. all of these things yeah and they're things that I don't think I ever I may have said that I believed in them, but I don't know that I ever really would have said that. Yeah. But recently I was having a conversation with my girlfriend about it and I I realized that like, oh, this is like leftover from this fear that I have of like hell. Yes. And yeah. like, like I don't believe in hell anymore, but I'm still afraid, afraid of, of it. Like, yeah. <laughs> afraid like of the things that live there. Possessed by Satan. Yes. yes yeah, right. exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's like the, the type of anxiety I feel about those things is like very very real. Yeah. Yeah. And so like realizing those kind of vestiges of like, oh, like this is also a part of that. Like yes. I have to do this now. <laughs> Girl, that's okay. something that it's so normal. And it's something I do talk about with my clients a lot about how it just takes a bit of time for our bodies to forget those things because our bodies have to like realize that they no longer need to feel like they're responsible for saving our life by avoiding those things. And so, yeah, yeah, it just, you know, that's good news as much as it is bad news that like, Hey, you're normal. It's fine. It's going to take some time, but also like, Oh, it's, it's going to take some time that even though I cognitively dismiss this, this, these fears or these anxieties or the source of these anxieties from my brain, my body or my soul or my heart is still kind of hanging on to them. Not because they want to, um, because they don't know how not to yet. And, but but that's so okay. That's very okay. Yeah. And I think, I think what's been surprising to me is how, like, I've had all of this anxiety and this fear and all of these things very wrapped up in my body. Mm-hmm. And I could name those things. Like, yeah. I could be like, oh, I feel anxious. Like, oh, I can name the things like, mm, you know, um, but I didn't necessarily, I couldn't connect where they were coming from or yeah. couldn't say like, oh, this is, you know, I couldn't connect them to like this upbringing and this fear that mm-hmm. I had throughout my whole life of like, being possessed, being left behind during the rapture. Like, yes. Yep. You know, like the, the, the classic, like, oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, we are not alone and we are no, it, one, not. we are two in a large number of people that luckily are now 
beginning to be able to find each other and gather in these common spaces, whether in real life or kind of virtual common spaces, which is one of the things I love about doing this podcast. And, you know, our podcast being one in a large and ever growing number of people who are gathering people in in online spaces like this. And and then there's all these books coming out and that CBS special about like ex-evangelicals. Yeah. And it's yeah. good to feel not only represented, but also like we can find each other now because yes. all we have to do is like follow a hashtag and you've got yeah, like thousands right. of new friends who understand and yes. make you feel less crazy and alone. So, yes. yeah. Come home to your body to somebody that you've always known oh in a way it's nostalgia it surrounds you and you're not alone this was just so delightful and it's been just such a good time getting to know you and getting to hear your story and and then also getting to kind of celebrate where you are now and even though I don't know you in person I still like hearing every, hearing all of um all of the ups and downs of what where you've been and what you've been through and and sharing like I said some of those within my own body and within my own experience um it feels very good to be able to celebrate the fullness of who you are and the fullness of your embodiment on this side and your journey into like releasing, you know, those anxieties and those fears and feeling safe and whole and healed and at home inside yourself and in your relationship. So it's been so good. Thank you for thanks holding so this space. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks for talking to me. Of course. And hopefully we will talk sometime soon. That sounds great. Bye, Bye girl. Thank you. Bye. All right, we're going to hit pause, and we will pick it up from there next time for part two. Check us out on Patreon to support this work and have access to all of our bonuses. Check out DerekWebb.com and JamieLeeFinch.com for more from our producers. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Insta, and at TheAiringOfGrief.com. And leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts if you can. They help to keep us visible. And that's all for now, so we will see you again next week after church for the airing of grief.